Today. My name is John, and I'm one of the pastors here at Lakeside. Last week, we uh, asked a question. We said, can you imagine what it would be like to live in a world where you and I can freely talk about God with our friends, with our family, with our neighbors, with our co-workers? And it's not heated. It's not a debate. It doesn't feel awkward. Nobody's trying to win an argument. But rather, what we're doing is we're leaning into the conversation. We're trying to understand one another better. We're trying to understand ourselves better in the midst of that. And we learn something about God when we have that kind of an approach to God talk, to God conversation. We're going to continue in that uh, today as we are in week two of God Talk 2.0. And we we started this conversation back in February and March. Uh, We're kind of revisiting right now. Uh, Today, we're going to start with this resolution. I was a debate student in high school. Any debate students? Here it is. Resolved. Uh, God is a God of variety. Do you agree? I mean, you see it all around you, right? You see it in nature. Just look in this room. uh, Look at the person you married. Maybe like God is a God of variety. Everybody's different. We're all shaped uh, different. I love that uh, the book of Revelation uh, in chapter 7, verse 9, it says that every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to uh, stand before God one day, all dressed and robed in white. And there's this whole sense of unity that we're all in this thing together. But at the same time, I love how poetic that is, every tribe, tongue, and nation. Just think of how colorful it's going to be in heaven. I think that's a beautiful thing. Uh, We have a variety in the way that God tells us to approach him and worship him when we come together. Uh, For instance, we know when we read the Bible that God does not enjoy one particular kind of song. He enjoys a bunch of different kinds of songs, so we're not all stuck singing Gregorian chant, even though that's kind of cool, like I, I kind of dig it, but like uh, the Bible says actually in Ephesians chapter 5 that when we come together, uh, God wants variety, so he says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are the things that we're supposed to be singing. What does that mean? It means everything. It means that God enjoys all different kinds of music in ways that we respond to him. And then finally, I think uh, God tells us in this story, uh, and we know this to be true in our own lives, but in the Bible, we see that God is telling his story through a variety of personalities. And we're going to lean into this a little bit today, and we're going to ask the question, what are our ancestors telling us about conversation about God or about God talk. And by ancestors, I mean uh, those people of the faith, those uh, uh, in, the, in the tradition of Jesus followers who these stories are recorded here for us, uh, more like our spiritual ancestors. What are they telling us about variety and personality and how God uses that to be able to draw people to himself? Last week, uh, I told you a story about my spiritual mom, uh, Charlotte, uh, and I'll tell you something else about her today. Uh, Charlotte, uh, last week, I got to speak and, and do music at her memorial service. Ah, oh, it killed me. She was such a beautiful lady. 90 years old, though, and, and like a rock star for Jesus. Like, she was, she was something else. And to hear the stories that people told about her, it was just so beautiful. Uh, Charlotte uh, spent most of her time in the garden. She always had her hands busy in the garden. And she always invited me and my brother over to her garden. There was a swing in her garden. We would take walks through the woods. And, and uh, there was time that we spent uh, by the pond that was near the, the garden talking about Jesus. And she was inviting us into those stories. And as a matter of fact, it was in that very garden that as a little boy, I knelt down and I prayed with Charlotte uh, and asked that Jesus would be Lord over me. That, and I committed my life that I I would follow Jesus. 
uh, in a garden. I sang a hymn, her favorite song last week at her memorial, and the title of that hymn was In the Garden. Uh, and it was super sweet, and it's a song that talks about God walking with us and talking with us and telling us that we belong to him. The song says, he tells me I am his own. And it was a beautiful, sweet song for her, and it is for me now, too. Um, last week, we talked about paying attention to signs all around us uh, when it comes to God talking. Charlotte was most definitely a person who paid attention to the signs. She knew absolutely who she was and how God had created her, but she also knew that those things would resonate with me, and she paid attention to those little nudges and those little uh, intuition and, and, and those clues uh, that enabled her to build trust with me as a child and other kids in our neighborhood, too, and everything uh, for Charlotte, everything, all the stories of God uh, were like garden metaphors, you know? It's just a beautiful thing because she paid attention. Now, Charlotte is what I might call a naturalist, and, and, and we're going to talk about some different types, uh, personalities. We're going to call them archetypes. We're going to look uh, at this story at quite a few different people who have told the story of God, and we're going to say, how has God shaped them? And we're going to ask the question, do I resonate with any of these kinds of personalities that we hear about in Scripture? And is it possible that God wants me to lean further into how he shaped me to be able to have conversations about him and invite people into the story. So Charlotte was a naturalist, and we'll, we'll come back to that uh, in a little while. Uh, when we talk about arch- archetypes, by the way, we're talking about like motifs and, and symbols and patterns in humanity that say, you know, there's a lot of people that act and react like this, and it's important for us to know how God has shaped us. In my early 30s, um, I was in ministry and in church ministry, and I thought that in order for me to become effective as a pastor, as a leader, the best thing for me to do was to become like the people around me. I thought because maybe if I became more like the people around me, we would have something in common and we could talk. So I thought that maybe God was doing a complete, you know, extreme makeover on this boy. And so I cut my hair. Look what happened. It's crazy. I I started listening to music that I didn't necessarily like because I thought that other people liked that and maybe I should do that. Uh, Some of the people in my community were runners, so I started running. I run when there's danger now. That is it. That's the only thing that gets me on the track or on the trail running. Um, I mean, I have a Harley Davidson. Why would I want to run? My goodness. So... um, Anyway, I, I, there was, there was a, a portion of my closet, a large portion of my closet that got filled with a variety of Dockers pants and golf shirts at one point. Now, now, you might wear those and you might rock the Dockers, but this boy, not carved out for Dockers and golf shirts. I started playing golf because everybody else played golf and I thought pastors played golf and I learned uh, early on that I am not a golfer and I hate golf. I actually don't like it. Actually, the only time I like golf is when I'm trying to get that annoying ball to go through the trap door at the lighthouse. That's the only time that I like golf. Uh, Unless I'm driving the cart. I love driving the cart. It's great. If you want to pay for my golf game, I'll drive your cart. We'll have a good time, but I'm not going to like that game at all. Now, it's interesting because I think there's, there's something about that that, uh, that I learned from that's important. But 
Here's what I learned. One thing I learned for sure, uniformity is not what God is calling us to. Could you imagine if we all looked the same, talked the same, thought the same, had the same interests, how boring the world would be? Uniformity is not honest. And actually, further than that, God created us with variety and as individuals so the entirety of the gospel story could be told through us because he uses us as his messengers, as, as his ambassadors, the Bible says. And so uniformity isn't honest. And, and uniformity, if we all looked and talked the same, we'd only be telling a partial story about God. Now, I think... There's, uh, you know, adapting and taking on new ta- tastes and trying to learn new things is, is a fantastic thing in order to be able to share the good news with people. Paul even talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verses 19 through 23. We're going to put it up here, and this is out of the message version because I love how this is said. It says, even though I'm free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. And I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, uh, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did this all because of the message or the gospel or the good news. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Now, I love that. I love that approach to life where you say, God, I want to hold life loosely and I want to uh, learn new things so I can meet a different variety of people and we can converse and we can do life together. I love that. But Paul is not talking about becoming somebody other than the person God made us to be. This is how uh, what Paul said played out for me, how it played out for me over the years. Uh, I'm not a sports guy either. I've, I, I make jokes about sports all the time. It doesn't mean I, I, I'm totally a, a numbskull when it comes to sports, you know, but I just, I don't breathe that way. I don't think that way. Some people, uh, you know, that's, that, that's how they think and that's how they work and react. And I remember a time in my life where I felt so out of sorts at Lakeside Church, as a matter of fact, a bajillion and one years ago where I thought, oh my gosh, everybody's talking sports language And this boy doesn't do sports. And so I started praying, dear God, please help me enjoy one sport. Like if I could, if I could love one sport, that would be fantastic. And what God provided was people paying for my Kings tickets to go to games with them. Okay, if you pay for my game, I'm all in. So then I started to love what was happening with basketball. And then I found it's great uh, if somebody says, hey, did you catch that football game? And I wasn't a football guy. I could go, you know, I don't really watch football. I'm I'm more of a basketball guy. And then we had something to talk about. It was fantastic. Now, I think that's cool. I think finding different ways that we can connect with people and expanding our, our, our taste, our palate is a good thing. But... God has created us as individuals, and God does not want us to become something that we aren't. He wants to use the exact person that he has created you to be for his glory. Now, he wants you to absolutely enjoy how he has created you. Like, there's part of that, too, finding fulfillment in who God has made you to be, but he also wants you to be able to share those things with people. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 10 says that we are his handiwork. 
another translation says that we're his workmanship and we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And somebody, uh, because this word, this Greek word uh, for handiwork is poema, uh, some have said uh, rightfully so that this is where we get the word poem. And they lean into that and they say, you know, so you are God's poem, which is an interesting concept because uh, poems are unique, right? Poems have individual voices. And I might hear a poem that I absolutely love, and you might hear the same poem and not necessarily like that poem. And so I love thinking about God's handiwork being used that way. He's created and crafted us in different ways and giving us different voices. But even bigger than being God's poem, I think what we get in that word is what we see, uh, again, where that word is used in Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 20, in relation to the entirety of God's creation that is revealing his character all the time. And, and we get the sense, the nuance of that handiwork as being more of like a, a fabric that's being woven together, this intricate, unique fabric that God is putting together, and, and, and even a masterpiece, that God has created you to be a masterpiece to reveal who he is to the world. I love that. Okay, so we're going to dig in and we're going to look at a few different personalities uh, in the Bible today. And, and you get to participate in uh, a little poll today. If you've got your phone with you, you can text the word Lakeside to 22333. And if you do that, you're entered in the poll. We're going to go through 10 different archetypes that we see in Scripture today. It's going to be super-duper fun. If you resonate with one of these archetypes, then you can send in the corresponding letter that uh, is going to go with that archetype. And, and I, we're going to even let you pick up to two today as we do this. All right, so you ready to go on a ride? The first one that we're going to talk about the first personality, the first archetype that God uses uh, is that of the naturalist. We're kind of going back. I just talked about my spiritual mom, Charlotte. She was a naturalist. Uh, David, King David in Scripture was a naturalist. I mean, you can, you can take the nature out of, or you can't take the nature out of the shepherd boy. You can take the shepherd boy out of nature, but you can't take the nature out of the shepherd boy. He started as a shepherd, and, and, and that never went away. His entire life, all the poems that he wrote, every time he talked about God, it was all about the, the, the glory and the grandeur that he saw with God in nature. Psalm 8, one of his psalms, he says, Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. And he says, when I, when I look up in the sky and I see the works of your hands and your fingers, when I see the sun and the moon and the stars, I think, oh my goodness, who am I? How can you even pay attention to me because of all of this glory and this grandeur that I see? Now, if you resonate with that kind of a thing, if you speak that kind of a language, if you spend time in garden, if you connect with God in nature, if John Muir is your homeboy, then you might be a naturalist. If you are... Um, you can send A into the poll on your phone. Uh, a is naturalist. B is this, intellectual. Uh, intellectuals are the smarty pantses of the room, all right? They're the ones who always have their nose in a book. This is the person of the Apostle Paul. Uh, before he was Paul, he was Saul. Saul was a terrorist. 
He killed Jesus' followers, and then he had a miraculous conversion, and he began uh, following Jesus, and his studying never stopped. As a Jewish boy, he grew up in a religious home. He studied uh, Jewish theology. He studied under a famous uh, um, uh, rabbi by the name of Gamaliel, and you can read about that in Acts 22. Uh, And then even right after his dramatic Uh, conversion experience, the Bible tells us in the book of Galatians that he went to Arabia and he dug deeper into his studies. So now everything that he learned as a boy and as a young man, he started now viewing it through the eyes of Jesus and what Jesus was doing in his life and making connections uh, for the future and what Jesus was going to be doing. And he was just a major, major smarty pants. Every time he opened his mouth, uh, he was giving instruction and knowledge and reason. And uh, as a matter of fact, the the whole book of Romans, the letter that he wrote to the Roman church, is full of all of that instruction and knowledge and uh, uh, reason. And then in Acts 17, you see him. He has this empathetic kind of uh, warm personality as he's gathering all the smarty pants together in the room. And they're, they're talking about what God is doing. He has this real caring heart for people, but still everything that comes out of his mouth is top shelf theology. So you might resonate with Paul if you find yourself quoting Aristotle or, or C.S. Lewis or if you can't put books down uh, or if you're always doing word studies as you study the Bible, uh, then you too might be an intellectual. Okay, the next one, and that was B. The next one, C, is the mystic. Ezekiel was somewhat of a mystic, and you can read his whole story in the Old Testament. He was a priest in 6th century BC. He's ministering to his people while they're exiled in uh, Babylon, and the guy speaks through visions and, and symbols, and some might call it crazy talk. Like it's, it's hard to get to the heart of what he's doing, and he's a, he's a performance artist. Now, the beautiful thing about this is that the people of God re- were removed from everything that they knew, their temple system, their, their worship system, all of their songs, all of the camaraderie and coming together because they're in exile. And Ezekiel is painting these beautiful otherworldly kind of, you know, six-dimension kind of pictures of what God is going to do to give them hope. And to bring them back to a God who is real and who is working in their lives and wants to do amazing things with them. The mystic uh, has uh, a bit of a a prophetic voice, meaning that they, they kind of see things that other people don't always see. And they have huge amounts of faith, the mystic. All right, so if you enjoy watching the Sci Fi Channel, and as you're doing that, uh, you're listening for spiritual themes or you are reading the letters of Thomas Merton, or uh, you're one of those people who speaks in fluent metaphor, um, then you might be a mystic. Now, see how beautiful these things are because God used them, and he wants to use all of us in ways to reach the world that only we can reach because of the way that God has created us. The next one is D, the celebrant. And uh, kind of our go-to celebrant today is going to be Aaron. He's the brother of Moses. Uh, Actually, their sister Miriam would have been a celebrant as well. Uh, The Aaronic priesthood, not the ironic priesthood, although it may have been that too, but the Aaronic priesthood was in charge of keeping the uh, the lamps burning in the tabernacle. Uh, 
they, which was a sign of vitality and life and that God was doing something beautiful, that God's light was not going out. And, and for us, too, to, to think our light is not supposed to go out into the world. Um, storytellers, like the guy that we meet in John chapter 9, who Jesus gives him sight and he starts bouncing around the town telling people about how he's been healed. He was blind, but now he sees. It's like the guy just downed a few monster drinks. You can't slow the guy down. And people are saying, tell us the story. Tell us about what, how did this happen? He says, all I can tell you is I was blind and now I see. Woo! Like he's, you might know people like that in your life. Maybe you're that kind of person. Maybe you come into this place and you cannot keep your hands from raising to the sky. I mean, we're singing songs and... Your hands just won't stay down. They just, they just go up. Or you're clapping all the time. Or maybe you're the kind of person that loves sending thank you notes to people or gift cards uh, to people. If you are the first person to say, uh, we should throw a party, uh, then you might be a celebrant. All right. Hang with me. It looks like it. You're smiling. Okay, good. This is good. Uh, the next one, E, is servant. And we're going to go to the cream of the crop for this. Uh, we're going to look at Jesus all right? It's kind of almost like cheating, but, but, uh, but Jesus is known as a servant. Mark chapter 10 says that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And Isaiah 53, looking forward to the Messiah, prophetically speaking, said that he took on our infirmities and he carried our sorrow. And so there's this beautiful picture of being a servant, which is not only doing tasks for people, not only uh, cleaning people's toilets with a smile on your face, but, but also when somebody is going through pain in their life, you're empathetic. You, you come alongside of them. You, you hurt with them. You fill with them. That's, that's what Jesus gave us as the, the picture of a servant. Now, somebody's going through a rough time and your very first thought is, you know what? I should bring them dinner. Uh, if you sit in your house and you, you pray at night about ways that you could make people's life better and ways that you could help them, if you mow your neighbor's lawn without them asking you, uh, then you might be a servant. And I, I think God wants you to lean into that and think, how can God use the way I have been created as a servant to tell his story? The next one's super fun. F, this is uh, activist. And we're going to look at the person of Esther for this. Esther was an activist. Uh, if you don't know the story, I'll, I'll tell you this much. This is what you need to know for being an activist. In the time when Esther lived, if you stormed into the court of the king and you just asked for their attention, let alone ask them or tell them what they should be doing, that carried with it a death sentence. But you know what Esther did? She heard about a plot to kill her people and she made her audience with the king. Like she made her presence known and told the king exactly what he should do. He found favor with her, and she single-handedly saved all of her people from annihilation and destruction. And the story of Esther is still celebrated to this very day, especially with the Jewish culture. It's an amazing thing. Uh, it's a beautiful story. She stood in the gap. She said, you know what? My people don't have a voice. I need to be that voice. I need to stand up for the weaker person that does not have a voice and cannot defend themselves. If you're the kind of person that carries picket signs or you march in parades 
Or right now you have 150,000 signs of people's names in, on your lawn because there's an upcoming election. If you've memorized everything that's going to be on that ballot, if you're constantly looking at Facebook and crying injustice, but then you take it like to another level and you find yourself on your knees praying for politicians. If you're volunteering on committees uh, in, in your city and you're saying, I, I have to do something, I cannot be silent then, my friend, uh, you are probably an activist and you have a comrade in Esther. The next one, uh, G, is uh, the artist. And we read about the, uh, an artist, a famous artist by the name of Bezalel uh, in Exodus chapter 31. It says that he is the chief architect of the tabernacle and he creates things. Now, artists, artists create things, but here's an interesting thing. His name, Bezalel, literally means in the shadow of God, which I think is a beautiful thing because artists create things, but they're not God. They don't create like God creates. They're sub-creators or, or co-creators, and they can only create in the shadow of God. So when uh, when an artist creates a piece of work and they are trying to draw your attention uh, to the beauty of what they've created to reflect that beauty towards God, they're doing exactly what God has created them to do. They are telling a story through color and paint and poetry and song and dance and structure. And they have kind of this uh, prophetic vibe about them too, much like the mystic. Oftentimes the, the artist is, is misunderstood. If you draw when you're taking notes, <laughs> if you often rearrange your home, if you build your own furniture, if you've got paintbrushes and canvases all over your kitchen table and that takes priority over your children's meals, um, then you might be an artist. And you ask the question, how does God want to use me to tell his story? The next one is uh, monk. This is H, a monk. Uh, John the Baptist, I think, was a monk. He, he grew up out, out in the wilderness. He was raised away from it all. He stayed out there. He enjoyed solitude. He re enjoyed uh, reflection. The monk finds comfort in silence, like John the Baptist. You might have a connection with nature or animals. Maybe you think the, the animals are even your teachers. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that uh, just because you love all those things and being away from it all that you don't have a voice, because John the Baptist had a voice. He spoke out against injustice, and he spoke out about, uh, against greed and power and, and wealth and, and, and how those things can corrupt He's, he had a voice. It doesn't mean that you're silent, but you do enjoy being away from it all and having a different kind of connection that looks like solitude. If you uh, speak to the animals on your morning walk, if you uh, don't own a television, or at least you just don't care what anybody is binge-watching uh, these days, um, you've never watched uh, one episode of Game of Thrones. You just don't even care. Um, you pack your own lunch um, because you would rather take a book out into the woods with a couple friends and, and read and be out there rather than going to a restaurant. If you enjoy yoga, meditation, if your idea of a good time is lighting a hundred candles in your bedroom and staying there for hours at a time while you uh, breathe in essential oils and talk to God, um, that's pretty cool. And you might be 
a monk. And God wants to use that for his glory. I've got two more. Next one is The Dreamer. The book of Genesis 37 uh, through 50, those chapters tell us a story about Joseph, who is a major dreamer. Now, uh, the problem with Joseph's dreams is that he was often the hero of his own dreams, and he shared those dreams with other people, like how he was going to rule over his brothers. They didn't take kindly to that, and so they tried to kill him off. They left him for dead. Now, here's, here's the beautiful thing about Joseph's story. It's so redemptive that he trusts and leans into those dreams and believes that God is doing something absolutely beautiful no matter what is happening to him, that God has a purpose for him, and he eventually ends up saving his entire family and reconciling them and finding forgiveness and saving them from famine. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The dreamer often thinks uh, different than other people. Uh, And if you know a dreamer and you're not a dreamer, you might look at them and call them crazy or say that they're aloof or their mind is always uh, somewhere else. But you know what else you'll say? I'm glad the dreamer is leading the charge because the dreamers are the one who step in and they're the cheerleaders and they're ones they say, we can charge this hill, we can do this, amazing things are going to happen. And you might ask the dreamer, and it might frustrate you. You might ask them, well, how are we going to get there? And they say, I don't know, but it's going to be a fantastic ride. But dreamers are needed. Dreamers are needed in the kingdom of God. If you think the best place to live is smack dab in the middle of Disneyland, if you have a vision for your city, if you're the kind of person who is always thinking, you know what, there's a better way. There's a better way for this. Uh, If you often start your conversations with your friends by saying, hey, guys, what if? Um, Then you might be a dreamer. If you have 10 things going on right now, your life is so hectic, you have 10, whatever, 10 bajillion things going on, but the the one thing you're most excited about is the thing you haven't started yet, uh, like you might be a dreamer, and God wants to use that. Next one, final one is Jay. This is the entrepreneur. The entrepreneur has a lot in common with the dreamer, but they, they, they might have the blueprints of the thing kind of put together a little bit better. I like they see projects and they see them through to fruition, uh, and, and they love that. They love putting people in, in, in places of leadership, turning things over to them and watching those people be successful. Nehemiah was one of these kinds of people in the Old Testament. Nehemiah uh, was cupbearer to the king of Persia. Uh, he had, had gained favor with the king. He was able to ask for resources, people, money to go rebuild the city of Jerusalem that had been destroyed. And see, entrepreneurs are not afraid of risk. Nehemiah was not afraid of risk. There was danger. As a matter of fact, it tells us that as they were rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, that the people had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. It's amazing because of the danger, but the entrepreneur just doesn't care. If you've got a bajillion projects going on in your backyard, but doggone it, you're going to see all of those things to fruition and everybody knows it. Um, If you enjoy watching people be successful, if you have uh, built and sold, uh, you know, 10 homes, uh, if you serve on committees uh, within your city and you're often leading the charge in your city or in your church or in your place of work, then you might be an entrepreneur. Now, here's the deal. 
All of these things are made up categories, right? I mean, it's not like we turn to chapter and verse in, in Scripture and it, and it lists these 10 things. We just kind of made them up because they're patterns that we see in the way that God has created humanity. You don't have to be one of these things or the other thing. I think Jesus oftentimes demonstrated a lot of these things uh, depending on the situation. You might be a mixture of some of these but you might get to the end of this and say, wait, you didn't even get to me. Where's my archetype? We didn't even talk about it. Well, kids, we only have so much time here. There, there's other ones, though. So maybe God is getting you to think today about how he has created you specifically, unlike anything uh, that we even talked about. And that can be an amazing thing. Just knowing what you're not as we go through this kind of a list is, is a very, very important thing, too. There's plenty of things on this list that I go, yeah, not so much this guy. And that's okay. God wants to use you the way he's created you. My friend Greg doesn't enjoy music. I don't know why. He just doesn't get it. He's like, yeah, I don't listen to music. I don't get it. I was like, are you human? <laughs> like, I don't get it. But, and I'm only, I'm only partly making fun because maybe that's you, and that's okay. My friend Brad doesn't like art. He's like, yeah, no, not so much. I don't care. I don't like the tension. Tell me what the thing means, and let's move on. Like, I don't want to have to think. I don't want to have to process and, and think through your silly little metaphors and all of your abstract colors. Like, just let's get on with it. That's okay. My friend Michelle, if I talked about being a naturalist, she, would, she hates camping. She hates dirt. Like, if she can't plug in a blow dryer somewhere, then her whole world collapses. That's okay. You know what? Because she's awesome at a bajillion other things, and God wants to use her in a specific way because she has a certain Michelle-ness that the world does not have. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's designed to give us freedom. And I think that's what God is calling us to. When it comes to conversation about him, he wants us to experience freedom in the way that we have been created by him. God loves variety. There's a couple of, of dangers with a list like this, too. Uh, some of us maybe get to the end of it, and we just go, you know what? That's not me. None of it is me. Woe is me. God is never going to use me. I'm horrible. I knew it. I don't have this kind of spiritual gifting. I'll never be a singer. I'll never be an artist. I'll never be an entrepreneur. Wham, 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 wham. Okay. We cannot have a spiritual inferiority complex. We cannot have that kind of thing. God is constantly talking uh, throughout his word about how he has crafted us and designed us and given us a specific part in the body, he calls it. Like all of God's children have a place in the choir. The other danger is the other side of that where we have a spiritual superiority complex and go, man, that list was incredible because I am all of those things. I'm all those things so amazingly. I am the best at all those things. I am great at lists. I'm creating new lists in my head of all of the amazing things that I am right now, and you should be like me, and I do it better than you. Amen. <laughs> I am God's gift to God. <laughs> that, that is dangerous. It's dangerous. Well, we don't understand how God has created us with variety, then it leads down some pretty ugly roads. And I don't know that throughout the history of the church, we've done great at this. Those ugly roads are racism or being secluded from the world or living an ascetic lifestyle and, and not talking to anyone or, or xenophobia or 
being judgmental about everything. Now, I think God is inviting us into something much more beautiful than that. Ryan started today by reading a passage or, or quoting uh, from a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want to go back to that because I think, I think this is beautiful. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, uh, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. God is always in the business of making things new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Four times he says it in just one run-on sentence in there. Reconciliation is the process of healing and, and making things whole and making things complete. And God is taking all of these broken parts of humanity, all of these broken shards that are so unique, he's taking this variety and he's pulling us all together to be able to tell the beautiful story of God. We are part of that. That's what God is asking us to do. And I love this at the end of that. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, and this is important, as though God were making his appeal through us. Lord, help us to understand uh, better who uh, we are, not so we could just feel good about our bad selves, but uh, Lord, uh, so we could um, feel confident that uh, you want to use us in spectacular ways uh, for the betterment of humanity, Lord. Um, to be able to breathe life uh, into the place that we live and point to you. We're just shadows of you, God, and we want to be able to point to you. You're always inviting us into the story. We want to be the kind of people that invite others into the story, help us care enough about them to learn about them, help us care enough about them to learn about ourselves. We want to hear more from you, and we want to tell the world more about you. We love you. Amen.